radio phase of our program, we take this opportunity to welcome our KKVV listeners on 1060 AM. Our speaker today is our beloved senior pastor, Dr. Calvin B. Rock. Once again, he continues the series as he leads us into another amazing adventure and study of the word. If you'd like a copy of this program or of any previous, you may call us at 702-647-2627. You may also see us online at www.abundantlifelv.org. Before he comes to us, we'll again have another song of meditation by Tiana Lewis. Then we'll hear from Dr. Calvin B. Rock.
Jesus I worship and adore you Just want to tell you Lord, I love you more than anything. Ooh, I love you, Jesus. I worship and adore you. Just want to tell you, Lord, I love you. And it is true. And when the love of Christ really touches your heart, it moves you, doesn't it? Shall we pray? Father, we thank you for the reminders in music today of your love, of your care, of your ever-presence in our lives. And as we open the book now to study more about that love, our prayer is that the Holy Spirit will be our teacher and our guide. In Jesus' name, amen. We are, as you know, those of you who have been with us for a while, immersed in a detailed study of the book of Galatians chapter 5 verses 22 and 23 we've really been focusing and detailing right there we've just been rallying there for several weeks and we're not quite through yet the Word of God is inexhaustible and in order to really understand the Bible I have found at least is necessary yes to read the Bible through and I hope 
Many of you are on the annual Bible reading program this year. How many people plan to read the Bible through this year? Anybody on the program? Oh, good. If you haven't started, it's not too late. That's one way, and that's a great way. But another way, and probably my favorite way, right, right, favorite, I'd say, is to take a part of the Bible and just stay there for a while and really drink it in and really absorb what it has for us. And we've been trying to do that with Galatians. And I know many of you have been remembering these elements of the fruit of the Spirit that are mentioned here in Galatians 5. And I'm going to fulfill my promise. There'll be something for you who have done that. But let's see how many can go with me. The fruit of the Spirit is what? Love. What else? Love. What else? Love. What else? Love. And then? Love. And then? And then, and then, all right, you're still with us? That's number eight. And today it is temperance. And these are the nine elements to that one luscious fruit that the Spirit produces in our lives. And today we're dealing with temperance. And I ask you to note that the definition of temperance, or the best definition I know, is that which says that temperance is abstinence from that which is harmful and moderation in that which is good. Can you say that? Temperance is abstinence from that which is harmful and moderation in that which is good. In other words, that's all temperance really is. And when the apostle says that this final fruit, the final element of the fruit of the Spirit is temperance, he's saying that one of the things that the Holy Spirit does for us is to give us abstinence, power to have abstinence from all that is harmful. When we are temperate, we do nothing that is harmful, and we have balance and moderation in that which is good. We avoid the bad, balance the good. And I like the way the Second Peter chapter 1 details it. Turn with me, please, to Second Peter chapter 1, and I hope you have your Bible. How many people brought their Bibles today? May I see your Bibles? Look at that, hundreds of them, yes. We're, we're here to study, and let's read now Second Peter chapter 1, verses 5 through 7. But also, for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith, what? Virtue. And to virtue, what? Knowledge. And to knowledge, what? Temperance. Temperance is what the old King James says. Add to your knowledge, temperance. And I hope you get the point here. You don't have temperance before you have knowledge. So if you're going to avoid that which is bad, you have to know what is bad. And we're going to talk about that in a few minutes. Add to your faith virtue and to your virtue knowledge, and then you can do the temperance thing. The other thing I want you to notice about this scripture is that while the 
old King James says, add temperance, the new King James and other more modern translations than that which was done in 1611, the old King James, the newer translations say, add to your knowledge what? What? Self-control. And that is the more modern interpretation of the Greek word which the original translators said was temperance. The more detailed, the more specific translation of the word is self-control. So, when we talk about temperance, we're talking about knowing or knowledge of what is good, and we're talking about self-control that keeps us away from what is bad and helps us to be moderate and balanced in that which is good. So that there are these two critical discoveries that we want to note just as we begin. But of course, the question now is why is it so important to stay away from that which is bad and to be moderate in that which is good? Well, it's critically important because how we treat our bodies determines how these bodies function. Just pure, simple, basic logic. It's like any other machine. The body is a machine. Oh, the, the greatest machine of all. The, the most marvelous creation in all of this physical universe around us is the human body. Anybody been down to see the demonstration of the body? What, what hotel is it down there? Yeah. Where is it? Tropicana. Yeah, I plan to go. I've been saying it for a long time, but I, I do plan to go. I understand from those who've been there, it's, it's, it's unforgettable. It's unforgettable. The parts of this body. I heard a doctor say in the hospital just the other day down in California, he was talking to somebody else, but he said, your intestines are two miles long. I, I said, no. That doesn't sound right. Must be an exaggeration. But whatever link, what a marvelous machine this is. That this, this little box that sits on top, that sets on top of the spinal cord can receive all these images from our taste, touch, hearing, smell, and sight. And through these five senses, we are fed this material that we sort out. And then that material guides our thoughts and our actions. And because the nerves are also connected, it keeps our hearts beating. And the heart pumps the blood, which goes through the arteries and the veins that profuse the body, the whole body all around and gets us and keeps us healthy and well. And there's got to be the balance of the red corpuscles and the white corpuscles and all the other wonderful ways that God has made us. And God says, I want you to take care of this machine. You, my people, must be temperate. You must avoid that which is harmful and you must be moderate. And don't overdo it even in that which is legitimate that which is good. It's like any other machine, like that car you drove to church today. If you don't put in the right kind of gasoline, if you don't keep the oil changed, if you don't see that the tires are properly inflated, 
If you don't get it tuned up once in a while, you will pay the price, will you not? Maximum performance of any machinery, no matter what it is, demands that we give it the best care. Now, you may have an accident in that car. No matter how well you take care of it, you may, somebody drunk or, and we'll get to that too in a minute, but somebody intemperate or somebody on a cell phone, and down in California this week, and I went down Monday and stayed till last evening, but I had to be careful because there's a law in California, praise the Lord, you can't use cell phones while you're driving. And I had to keep remembering and put mine down. <laughs> keep remembering. It was hard to remember. But somebody may run into you dialing a number or half drunk or in a hurry or whatever. So no matter how well you keep your car, somebody can wreck it. You can have an accident. And the same is true with your body. No matter how well we keep our bodies, sometimes diseases afflict us anyway. I don't like to keep it all personal, but my mother with, with cancer of the lungs, boy, you know, here's a woman never smoked in her life. How does that happen? How does cancer attack you there? And I, I've, I've had members of my churches and other places where people had cancer of the tongue and the throat. People who, who didn't smoke and drink were afflicted. I know a minister who died from cancer of the lungs and I never will forget his eyes when I went to visit him the last time. He looked at me and his eyes were so disturbed. He just, it, was just, it was as if to say, how could this happen to me? But we live in an evil world. We live in a world full of sin and disease. We live in a world where, where disease is in the air, in the water we drink, on the ground where we walk. And we are in an earth that is growing old and waxing old with sin and disease. And disease can hit you no matter how good a vegetarian or vegan you are. But the point is, that the better you take care of your body and the more temperate you are, the better you'll be able to fight that disease. The quicker you'll be able to recover and the longer you'll be able to live. So that temperance is exceedingly vital for us because intemperance reduces our strength Intemperance lessens our mental capacity. There is a vital connection between the health of the body and the health of the brain. You know that, don't you? Intemperance clouds our judgment. When you take in what is wrong and you overdose in what is right, your judgment becomes cloudy. It shortens your tempers. Some of the worst things I've said and done have been when I've been intemperate. When I've eaten too much, you don't mind me confessing a little bit here. I'm not going to confess everything, so don't, don't get out your notebooks. But some things I think I wouldn't have said or done if I'd had the proper rest and had eaten right. And I learned long ago, before to go into board meetings and business meetings, is to sit down and relax and pray so I don't go in upset. Intemperance shortens our longevity. 
Intemperance, indulging which is harmful, that which is harmful, and excessing in that which is good is damaging to the body and the mind. It weakens our physical organs. It destroys the nervous system. It clouds and numbs the reasoning. And it weakens our spirituality. Make no mistake, however. Temperance involves more than just eating and drinking. Don't want to begin with that misunderstanding. It involves, as we just intimated, it involves everything we do. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 10. You have your Bible, so turn there to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. And those listening on radio, glad you're with us. Please, if you can, turn along to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31. We read, and this is the New King James. Therefore, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to what? And you know what that means? That means that all aspects of our lives, not only our eating and our drinking, but our work, our study, our, our play. Listen to my favorite author, Ellen White, in the book Temperance, page 138. Excessive indulgence in eating, drinking, sleeping, or seeing is sin. Those who eat and work intemperately and irrationally talk and act irrationally. It is not necessary to drink alcoholic liquors in order to be intemperate. God gave us these modern, these marvelous bodies to be properly maintained, and we must keep the right balance. Some people work too hard, and they wear their bodies out. Some people don't work at all. And their muscles and minds don't get enough activity. Some people look at television too much. You know, I was interested in noticing, well, Ellen White says, excessive seeing. I said to myself, what? She, she must have known TV was coming. <laughs> and she died in 1915. But excessive seeing, any excess, anything that upsets this delicate machine, anything that puts our operational our operational valves and organs and sinews and muscles off balance, anything that makes us more susceptible to disease, anything that compresses those white corpuscles, which are the soldiers in the body to help fight off that disease, anything that wears out our organs ahead of time, that anything that robs us of our finances, anything that wastes our time, anything that erodes these gifts of the spirit God has given us, anything that starts us down the road to bad habits is sin. What are some of the whatsoever things in society we should avoid? What are some of those things that we are not to be moderate in which we're not to be moderate, but we should avoid altogether? One is gambling. Now that may be a shock to the city of Las Vegas. <laughs> but gambling is, what, is one thing we should avoid. Gambling is destructive 
true spirituality for a number of reasons. Number one is that it makes people depend upon chance rather than hard work. And then you can go into the whole institution of gambling and, and how it affects people and all the suicides that they keep quiet around here and all of the loss of homes and money and, and careers and, and the whole atmosphere and ambiance of gambling which produces the drugs and the liquor and the tobacco. Gambling is one of the things that we Christians should avoid. Another we avoid altogether. No, no moderation, just avoid, is pornography. Yeah. I'm talking about things popular in our city and in our world today. You cannot be delicate with pornography, young people. You leave it alone, period. You start peeking and taking a little, and that's how the devil gets you started. Another thing you should leave alone is premarital sex. You can't be moderate with premarital sex. You just don't do it. And I'm going to come to being excessive in what is right. But may I say, you can also sin, husbands and wives, with too much sex. I wish somebody over here would say amen. Anybody over here say amen? You act like you don't know what I'm talking about. But I know you do. You can be, you can overdo what is good. Ellen White says that every time the act of sex is consummated, vital energy leaves the brain. That's why some folks are so sleepy in church. You can't stay awake. Some... Some, some men in particular like to pride themselves as to how, how strong they are. How many times a week they can indulge in what is good. But even sex in marriage, let me make it clear, when it's overdone, is robbing your body of energies and your mind of vitality. Another thing that ought to be left alone is worldly entertainment. You, 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 you can't be moderate down on the strip going to these shows where they're half naked and whole naked and where they're telling dirty jokes huh? and cursing and swearing. You can't be, we leave it alone. We can't be temperate when we are zoned in on kickboxing, fellas. In fact, all boxing is, is, is too violent. I know, I know, I know. We, we want to know what's happening. But when you are engrossed in people that are kicking each other and get the four fellas, you, what, what do they call that, that boxing? You could admit, give me the name. UFC. Yeah, whatever. And they down there on, they got them down there. And the blood is gushing, and the eyeballs popping out. And the man that wins is the one that's killing the other one. So he has to holler, Uncle, 
And they say, everybody, ha! And then he gets up all cut up and bruised and needs stitches. You watch that, and you know, we are what we watch. And when your wife says, will you do something? Will you please go to the store? And you've been kickboxing half the day. All that old evil comes up. We are what we watch. We are what we drink in. And Christians in this modern society, to be temperate, have to leave that alone. And that brings to mind what Paul says in Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. I love the book of Philippians for many reasons, but here is one, which is, I think, one of the greatest scriptures in all the New or Old Testament. Philippians 4, 8. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are, 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 whatsoever things are of, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, meditate on these things. So we leave alone. We stay away from those things that are dangerous and damaging to our minds and our bodies. But listen, while temperance involves whatsoever, 1 Corinthians 10.31, it's true that its primary concerns, its most crucial area of, of activity is our eating and our drinking. Not all these other things, we, and there are more, but these are things we, 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 we have to meditate upon when we are trying to be temperate. But the main area, the one where the devil got Adam and Eve in the first place, is appetite. That's the primary area. Because your appetite has a lot to do with your ability to think and even to reason these things through. And that's why he went to Eve. You remember Genesis chapter 3? You remember he went to Eve? And you remember what he said to her? Genesis 3, verse 1. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said that a woman has God indeed said, You shall not eat. What does that spell? You shall not eat. That's where he started. Eating. Eating is where he started. And look at the book of Luke, Luke chapter 17. Luke chapter 17 at what the Bible says about how he got them in Noah's day. Luke 17, 26. And as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it also be in the days of the Son of Man. They ate. And what else did they do? They drank. And then they went on to do a lot of other silly things. Married wise and were given in marriage until the day that Noah entered into the ark. And verse 28, likewise, it was also in the days of Lot. Later on, they ate and they what? And they drank and they bought and they sold and so forth. And it was likewise true in the days of Jesus. When Jesus came into this earth, Isaiah had prophesied. In his book, chapter 60, arise and shine for your light is come. Speaking of Jesus coming into our world. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth and deep darkness to people. 
The fact is that when Jesus came, the world was wrapped in night. Not physical night in terms of the sun and the moon and the stars, but intellectual and scientific darkness. People had lost concern for their bodies and the land was strewn with the sick and the dying because of dissipation and intemperance. And God says it's going to be the same way in your day and in mine and it is. Desire of Ages, page 122, again my favorite author. The uncontrolled indulgence and consequent disease and degradation that existed at Christ's advent, when he came the first time, will again exist with intensity of evil before his second coming. So it happened with Adam and Eve, it happened with Noah, it happened with Lot and Sodom and Gomorrah, it happened when Jesus came, and it's happening today. And let's talk a little while about Christian avoidance. What we've already talked about is mainly society. We, we, we are not gamblers, and we are not pornography buffs. You know, we, that's somebody else. But let's talk about us now. What does the Bible say to us Christians more specifically about avoidance and moderation and eating and drinking? Again, we turn to the word of God. You may write this down if you like. Proverbs 20 verse 1 says, wine is a mocker and strong drink is what? Raging. Raging. And whosoever is deceived thereby is not? We don't have to expand on that, do we? Alcohol is destructive. 56,000 people die a year in America in car accidents and over half of them die because of alcohol. And that doesn't touch what happens to our individual bodies when we as Christians, even ourselves, are deceived. Deuteronomy 29.18 says, Beware of the root, the wormwood that has poison and evil, Speaking of all roots, including that which provides tobacco. And we really don't have to, as God's people, go to great detail to remind ourselves of the destructiveness of tobacco. Deuteronomy chapter 14 talks about certain meats that we shall eat or should or should not eat. And reminds us, and I'm going to read it. You shall not eat any detestable thing, Deuteronomy 14.3. These are the animals which ye may eat, the ox, the sheep, the goat, the deer, the gazelle, the roe deer, the wild goat, the mountain goat, the antelope, the mountain sheep. And you may eat every animal with cloven hooves, having the hoof split into two parts that choose the cud, even the animals. Nevertheless, of those that chew the cud or have cloven hooves, ye shall not eat such as the camel, the hare, the rock, herox, for they chew the cud, but do not have cloven hooves. They are unclean to you. Also, verse 8, the swine is unclean. Then the Bible goes on to detail that which is clean and that which is not clean. And God tells us that he has garbage cans in the air. Those are the vultures. And over in Africa, back in November, we saw those big, huge vultures with those long beaks 
satisfied or made just so they can satisfy their carnivorous instincts and those big, big vultures with wings spread six, seven feet we saw swooping down upon carcasses and plunging. We could see how they plunged their beaks in, into animals and, and sometimes they, they, these flying garbage cans will be seen just circling, waiting for something to die. And God said, don't eat them. They're poisonous. And God has swimming garbage cans. He says, I'll tell you what my swimming garbage can looks like. It doesn't have fins and scales. If that fish has fins and scales, it means their system is clean and I allow the poison to go in and go out. You may eat them if you choose. And we'll come to that later, not today, another time. But if you choose. But God says, by all means, if it doesn't have, if it's swimming and it doesn't have fins and scales, don't eat him. Because that's a sign that he's one of my swimming garbage cans. He's got to have both right there. Read on in the 14th chapter. And then God says, I've got a running, walking garbage can. And it's called the hog, the pig. And I made him so that a rattlesnake could bite him. And he won't die. Because his system is structured. That's the way I made him. God says, I made these things. I created them. And I'm only trying to warn you. Don't eat the hog. Because he is my running garbage can. But then God says, more than that, I want you to be aware that as you avoid alcohol and tobacco and pork and the wrong kind of fish and birds, there's some other things you want to be careful about. And I've detailed a few of them from, again, my favorite author, or one of mine, other than the Bible, probably my very favorite author, Ellen White, who says the following, and may I get real close, may I go into your refrigerator this morning and, and read you really what, what, what we ought to hear and what is necessary for our good temperance living. Tea is poisonous to the system, page 421. Christians should let it alone. Never take tea, coffee, beer, wine, or any spiritous liquors. Now, as long as the tea is without tannic acid or caffeine, that's all right. And there's some teas like that. But the average teas with tannic acid and caffeine are to be left alone, and that includes colas. Anytime you're drinking Coca-Cola, Pepsi-Cola, if it says cola, leave it alone. It has properties that are destructive, to your nerves, to your system, and along with the tea should be abandoned. And, and I'm, I've noticed when it comes to alcohol that they've gotten slick. They've gotten real slick. So now they put on the TV, drink responsibly. That's like saying, get on this roof and jump off responsibly. You can't drink responsibly. We don't drink at all. But let me, let me continue. Page 345. Can, can, can I read this for you, please? Yes. All right. In this fast age, the less exciting the food, the better. Condiments are injurious in their nature. Speaking of spices. And listen, she, she lists them. Mustard, 
pepper, the black kind especially, <laughs> spices, pickles, pickles, did you get that? And other things of like character irritate the stomach and make the blood feverish and impure. Why? Because pickles have vinegar and all this food we eat with all this hot spices, all this goes down into our system and they injure the delicate lining of our stomach and the blood becomes impure and feverish. All right. Again, same book, different page. Page 345. Fruits, grains, and vegetables prepared in a simple way, free from spice and grease of all kinds. You should keep grease out of your food. The grease cooked in the food renders it difficult to digest it. Now I realize that there are some vegetable oils and other synthetic cooking greases today which were not available back there, which makes this different. But you want to be sure that you are getting that kind of oil or that kind of grease, else we will suffer the consequences. And again, I want to read, same book, page 112, 113. And by the way, if you want a copy of this book, Councils of Diets and Foods, you can put your name also on one of the slips that you tear off the bulletin, and we'll order them for you. But listen to this. The free use of milk and sugar taken together should be avoided. The free use of what? Milk and sugar. And what does that sound like? What does it sound like? Thank you. Somebody was bold enough to say it. Ice cream. Free use. Now, that, I, I don't think that means you can't ever have ice cream. It just means that you must be very careful and very moderate. Uh, let me read another reference or two. This time, page 327, same book, page 327. Sugar is not good for the stomach. It causes fermentation, and this clouds the brain and brings peevishness to the disposition. Far too much sugar is ordinarily used in food. Cakes, sweet puddings, pastries, jellies, jams are active causes of indigestion. And that's when I love it. When they tell me over here that Sister Everson made the dessert and it has no sugar, I let go. I feel free. I just get all I can and try to be temperate. <laughs> try to be temperate. Yeah. Another one, page 344. And I'm talking to myself this morning, church, and all this is going to help our spirituality, I hope. Page 344. Do not eat largely of salt. Avoid the use of pickles. I'm telling you, she's hard on pickles. All you pickle lovers. If you just got to have pickles, you better make your own. You can make them in, in lemon juice, you know. In fact, I bought some the other day in California. Not this trip, but the last one. I got four or five bottles, and I have to be careful. I love pickles. 
but my mind is free when I know that they have been prepared with lemon juice rather than vinegar. And there's more that has to be said, but let, let, let me give you one other reference here that I hope will be helpful when you go home to eat today. Uh, whenever. Alright, page 109. Listen to this. Do not have a great variety at any meal. Three or four dishes are a plenty. Potlucks. It's bad, folks. Three or four is plenty. You don't want to go all down the line and just take up everything because all that gets in the stomach and starts, and what she says, there is war in the system. And you have all that noise and all that gas and all that throwing up and all that sickness. And what happens is the organs get over. Well, let me read that one. I, that's another one I got to get to. I didn't want to. And I can't, I don't have time to read everyone, but take my word. Page 101, she talks about overeating and mentions that when you put not only too many variety, too much of variety, and, 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 and sisters, don't tempt us like that. Don't fix food that smells good and looks good and you got eight different kinds. Just three or four, that's enough. That's enough. And then watch as we eat because overeating burdens the system. When we overeat, it puts a burden on our liver, on our pancreas, and we can't see what's happening, but that system is weakening, and one of these days when something bad breaks out and the doctor says, I see a spot, or your kidney has, has worn out, and you're on dialysis, or something else as bad has happened, you say, oh, the Lord's will be done. The Lord didn't do that. We did it by lack of temperance. We did it. And then page 62, same book, eat regularly. We shouldn't eat between meals. We should have a regular time to eat and eat at that time. And eat slowly, page 107. And never eat when you are about to exercise heavily or just after you have exercised heavily. And never eat at night. When we lie down to sleep at night and we try to rest mentally, our body should be resting also. And when we are lying down and our bodies are still chugging along, we are not getting the kind of rest we need. Plus, because we are not doing something, all of that energy from the food piles up and that's how we get out of shape. <laughs> because while we're eating, while we're sleeping at night, all this energy is piling up in the wrong places. And the, whatever we eat that the body cannot absorb, whatever we eat that the body can't distribute becomes poison in the system. We should never eat in a hurry, page 109. And here's one we should never, page 106, drink while we're eating. I was in the cafeteria just yesterday down in Alta Loma, California, and I ordered my, my at, at, at Sizzler's, and I ordered my salads and was, uh, what do you have to drink? Nothing. Well, uh, you want water? No. 
They look at me like I'm from Mars. So I give them a little health lecture. You're not supposed to drink while you're eating. When you drink, in fact, there was a lady feeding my mom again, uh, you know, personal, but I got to tell you, and she was giving her, feeding her, and then she feed a little bit, and gives, I said, don't do that. She said, she said why? I guess she said, this is one of the little, 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 little assistant nurses. She said, we have to wash it down. I said, ma'am, that's just the point. You're not supposed to wash it down. The saliva juices and the other mechanisms for mastication that God has put in the body are supposed to break that food down and it is supposed to integrate it into the system. And when you eat and you wash it, the body doesn't do its work and the food doesn't give your body the value it's supposed to have. It's bad to drink and eat. We should drink before we eat for several minutes. And give that a head start, then eat, or eat and then drink a little bit after when the food has had a head start. And the more water that is in the stomach with the food, the less able is our body to integrate that food appropriately into our system. And worse of all is drinking cold water. Water lemonade or whatever with ice in it because when cold water gets into the system it stops the digestion now I didn't learn this in um, in, in, in at Loma Linda in some, some, some public health course but I read it and I've experienced it personally cold water arrests the digestion and your whole meal stops right there and piles up and starts sending off evil signals and poisons in your body, in your liver, in your pancreas, in the rest of your system. Paul says, add to your faith meekness, to your meekness temperance. Peter says, add to your knowledge self-control. Finally, two quickies. We have to go. We'll continue next week. Parents, you are chiefly responsible of seeing to it that your table is fixed in the right way. A lot of mothers and fathers are bemoaning what their children do, but their children's temper, their children's disrespect, their children's worldliness, their children's promiscuity and sensuality are being fed by the food we put on the table. Feeding them a lot of rich butter and grease and pickles and peppers and meat and eggs and certain other things only arouse the baser emotions, the baser emotions of the body and make them more vulnerable to what the world has to offer. And so, we can have better lives, longer lives, better families, and even a better church. <laughs> Again, Ellen White says on page 50 that a lot of church problems could be avoided if people ate.